0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. I am so glad you're here joining us as we have a conversation about, as we do every week, everything related to work and the rest of your life, your family, whatever that means to you, your community. Whatever that is for you, our society, our broken society in need of healing, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I founded Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program 30 years ago, and now I run a small company uh, called Total Leadership, which is a consulting and uh, training company that you can learn all about at totalleadership.org, about uh, book chapters there, uh, videos, assessment tools, the ways in which we help people find harmony among the different parts of life. New episodes of our show that you're listening to right now, they premiere at 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays, Eastern. Uh, And... uh, we are, as you know, on SiriusXM Channel 132. You can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me at Stu Friedman. Well, working from home, living at work, that's, uh, that's been our lives for many of us uh, who are, well, privileged, I suppose, to be able to work from home and, and live at work uh, in this in pandemic times. But it's highlighted and in many ways compounded the heavier domestic burden borne by women uh, who are, well, being called upon to to do more at home, uh, while also maintaining employment, quote, outside the home. Um, that's always been true, that there's a heavier burden for women, but it's uh, it seems to be getting worse during the pandemic, and we're going to be talking about that. Uh, on the show today, um, and so much more about what what people can do to to change that to make it a fairer game. My guest today uh, is working to change society one marriage, one parenting partnership at a time, uh, coming up with customized solutions to their issues. Her best-selling book is called Fair Play, just out in paperback. And I am delighted to welcome Eve Rodsky to the program. Eve, welcome to Work and Life.
1: Thank you, Steve, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm a huge fan.
0: Well, it's great to have you here. The full title of the book is Fair Play, A Game-Changing Solution for When You Have Too Much to Do and More Life to Live. Let me just tell you a little bit more about Eve before we get into the conversation. I have so many things to ask about. So much help I need, which (laughs) this could turn into a therapy session. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Um, Eve received her bachelor's in economics and anthropology from the University of Michigan. Let's go blue blue out there um, where I got my PhD. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of a lot of blue and May's going to be interwoven (laughs) in this conversation today. And she got her J.D. from Harvard Law School. After working in foundation management at J.P. Morgan, she founded the Philanthropy Advisory Group to advise high net worth families and charitable foundations on best practices for harmonious operations, governance and disposition of funds. In her work with families, hundreds of families over a decade, she realized that her expertise in family mediation, strategy and organizational management she could use that to solve a problem closer to home. One that she vividly illustrates the very start of her book, a system for couples that are looking to find, well, more peace, more harmony in, in their home. Eve was born and raised by a single mom in New York city, my hometown. So we've got a lot in common. Eve yes, we do. And <laughs> um, she now lives in LA with her husband and their three children. Eve, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you started as a lawyer and you ended up writing a book about more equitable division of labor at home. So how did you get there? Tell us your, the journey to, to now in, in brief as we, as we start.
1: Thanks Sue. Um, I think they say, right, that research is me search. So um, I was looking to solve my own problems, but this you know you can't make this stuff up. I don't know if you've ever had some of those days where you feel like everything is sort of collapsing, but then they become big periods of growth. And for me, um, that was a day nine years ago where when, and I write about this in Fair Play, when my husband, Seth, sent me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries.
0: I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Seems like a harmless... Seems yeah. like a harmless statement, Eve. Why did yeah. that cause you to, to break down, pull over to the side of the road and cry?
1: Yeah, well, um, maybe you can, I can help, you can, we can picture the scene a little bit uh, deeper than we uh, write it in the book where um, it reminds me too actually a lot of what's happening today where it feels like, I don't know, it felt like the space-time continuum was sort of collapsing on me. But um, the scene was, I had a breast pump and a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the backseat of my car. I had a client contract on my lap because like many women, right? I thought that opting out of the workforce, language matters. So I now say being forced out of the workforce somehow would give me more flexibility. So I'd started my own firm, but I had come out of corporate America. So I had a client contract in my lap because I work very analog. (laughs) I I still mark things up uh, with a pen and print out. And I remember I had this pen in between my legs. And literally, as I was racing to get my older son, Zach, at his toddler transition program, that's why I was in the car. He was three at the time. Mm-hmm. And those programs in America, you know, because we value care, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, those programs last about seven minutes, right? So I was the one, it was on me to pick him up. And we'll talk about how we got there. But I was racing to pick him up. And every time I remember I was hitting a stop sign, this pen that I was trying to mark up this contract with would stab me in the vagina, so oh. uh, it was literally that that was that's the scene when Seth decides to send me a text. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. So,
0: okay, just I no, I done. didn't catch that that's in the in chapter one. Eve, that- <laughs> I
1: don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't write that in chapter one, but I'm giving you, uh, really the the, the real figure. story. Well, because you, you focus on work life integration, so I think, and, and the challenges. So, I think that to me was, you know, I wanted to build that picture for you and also say that. For me to pull over, too, right? Because I, you and I are both from New York, but I live in LA now, and so we take traffic very seriously here. So for me to pull over and start to literally sob on the side of the road um, and be late to pick up my son, right? Something was obviously really wrong.
0: Well, was <laughs> there was the physical pain that yes, you yes. described uh, the the source of, and and but then there was there was something about his text that cut into Your core
1: to my identity, to my identity. I think, like Mm -hmm. you said, I was there was something about it that made me feel like I had been stripped down, Stu, to a gray version of myself um, over the 10 years of our marriage to the point where my husband was viewing me. And I don't think this was again him, this is we'll talk about the societal issues that got Mm -hmm. me here, but where he was viewing me as the fulfiller of his smoothie needs. And then of course I started to get his um, smoothie
0: needs, smoothie
1: needs. Right. I mean, you that, mean like, that's,
0: uh, make that's sure I have upset. my smoothie for breakfast yeah, yeah. to work, honey.
1: Exactly. I mean, he was upset. I didn't get his blueberries and, oh, and the smoothie.
0: Now I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: That was why he was asking me why there was no blueberries. He was, he was, you know, it felt like he was shaming me for not being the fulfiller of his smoothie needs. But I think more deeply, the deeper issues, why it was cutting to my core, as you said, were two things. One, I was thinking to myself, how cliche, right, that my marriage <laughs> is ending over off season produce. Um, like you know, if my, I thought I was cooler than that, right? Like my marriage should be ending over an affair with an NFL player, right, or something like a dramatic fight in the Caribbean. Like it just that felt sounds so, much
0: more like it, and what I would expect.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. For me. And 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 so now that you know me and then, um, but more importantly, I was thinking to myself, I don't have the career marriage combo I thought I would have. I do not have the career marriage combo I thought I would have. And I did not expect to be the default or as I call in fair play, the she fault for literally every single household and domestic task. And so just two quick things, privileges that this shouldn't have happened to me. One, as you said nicely earlier, Stu, I'm the product of a single mother. So I guess psychologists would call me a parental child. Um, I would help line up my mother's utility bills. I would wait up late for her when she would work late. I'd put my disabled brother to bed. Um, I would chart a path forward for her with working on his IEP, which is the way you get services. I mean, this is starting at seven, eight years old. So I I really, really, really was focused on having an equal partnership in my life because I saw how hard it was for my mother to do it alone. And, and then more importantly,
0: your father was not a part of the, no, picture?
1: no, my father was not a part of the picture. He, he was, um, he, <laughs> he had custody every other weekend, but uh, I got to be with my grandmother a lot. So uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was a rare Kentucky fried chicken Wednesday night where we'd go to, there was a Kentucky fried chicken on 14th street and second Avenue. And if we were lucky, he would show up if we were lucky. And as I got older, our relationship got better, but, Hmm. um, it's traumatizing. It was very sad not to have an active father in your life when you're young, you know, my brother, my brother got really, my brother got the, the, the short end of the stick of that. He really, um, he, his, his autism and his, his reading disabilities, a lot of things were not, were not diagnosed early because we were in um, sort of the shittiest of public schools in New York city. So they just sort of passed us through. Um, but the last thing I want to just say the second point of why this shouldn't have happened to me is because as you said I'm I'm a Harvard trained lawyer I'm literally trained to use my voice every continuing legal education I take is in difficult conversations you know <laughs> so I don't how did I end up not being able to have the tools to have these conversations and on the side of the road so I think that that can give you a fuller picture of why this very innocuous text you know, led me to a really dark place in my marriage.
0: Well, I appreciate your sharing that background, and it really does help me and our listeners understand more about where you're coming from. Um, so, how did you take that and all the skills and talent and and uh, that you that you have to to create this model of how? Couples, parenting partnerships, as I like to think of them, uh, can find a better way. And and before you answer that, let me just remind listeners, I am speaking with Eve Rodsky. This is Sirius XM Channel 132, Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. We're talking about Eve's wonderful book, so practical, so real, so incredibly useful. It's called Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. How did you come up with this model?
1: Well, I'll tell you one other very quick story Um, because I I was very woke after that blueberries days too. You know, this didn't come overnight and I appreciate your listeners coming on this nine year journey with me um, in such a short time because the awakenings, you know, sometimes consciousness takes a while to really Mm -hmm. understand what's happening and uh, then you have to move to solutions. But um, I remember this day, it was right after sort of this blueberries moment and I was on a breast cancer march honoring a friend who had um, passed away in law school. And I was with nine women. And then these women are powerhouses, you know, uh, they are, I was with the Oscar winning producer and the head of stroke and trauma for Cedar sinai you know, just really powerful women. And this morning, um, we had this great morning. And then I remember noon came, right? It was like, um, we all turned into pumpkins. We were like Cinderella's too. Um, we started getting, I started noticing, right? Cause I was more woke to this now. We started getting phone calls and texts from our, our partners and, and the substitute, maybe women who helped them. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't all hetero marriages, but mostly they were that day. Mm-hmm. And there were things like, um, where'd you put Hudson's soccer bag? Uh, what's the address of the birthday party? And where's the gift? My favorite too is my friend and fair play's the love letter to men. So we'll get there. But, um, but my friend, Kate's husband, do the kids need to eat lunch? That was my favorite. Do
0: the kids need to yes. eat lunch? Yes. Kids yes.
1: husband yes. that's a
0: fail. Me? That is a yes. major fail that question.
1: So uh, that day um I think it was the women's responses to you that got me so upset. It wasn't that everyone was like oh screw this. We're going to lunch. We're going to ignore these texts, you know. Um it was the way they reacted that was so surprising. They these powerful women who use their voice in every other aspect of their lives looked at me and said um uh, we we got to go, right? We got to go make the lunches, go get the perfectly wrapped gift to the birthday party, um, to find the soccer bag.
0: Hudson's <laughs> fucking soccer bag. Yes.
1: <laughs> Come so on now. Honestly, I ha- thank you, Sue. And I think because you work in this and that's why I love you. But I'll talk about why, again, why Fair Play is a love letter to men. But I appreciate you. As one man said, he said, I appreciate your, I I will accept your female anger because the solution's been really helpful for me and my partner. So this day I did have female anger and I think the anger I was having was um, what led me to an active, small act of resistance. So my act of resistance that day too was I counted up every single phone call and text we had received. So um, before they left, I asked them to help me. We had 30 phone calls and 46 texts for 10 women over 30 minutes. So that's that's important data that's important data because that was the day where I said um, something is happening here. I didn't realize there was a hundred years of scholarships to And so I want to honor, obviously everybody who came before me, there's actually a hundred years of scholarship that I found out after that day, when I started to read about these issues. Yes. Um, and it's called, you know, the second shift uh, mm-hmm. from Arlie Hochschild, it's called the mental load. You may have heard of emotional labor. Um, but my favorite stew was an article I found actually on my phone that day after that breast cancer march, from 1986, and it was an article from a sociologist named Arlene Kaplan-Daniels, and you can nerd out with me because you're an academic too. It was really fun to go into all of the old scholarship. Arlene Kaplan-Daniels argued for to use the term invisible work mm-hmm. because her point was that a work that women do builds the backs of society. It's how we build our society and the unpaid labor of, of, of women and the undervalued labor of women of color, I might add. And um, and that holds societies up, but we don't add it to our GDP. Mm-hmm. I consider it work because women do it. And I was obsessed with that term too because that was it. That was my light bulb.
0: That explained the it.
1: invisible. Well, also if you can take, make the invisible visible, then you can change everything. That's what yeah. I thought. So that's what hmm. I did. I decided to ask all those women from the Breast Cancer March and other women over nine months, "What do they do that may, they may be invisible to their partners?" That's, and I started getting that's viral The shit I do. The shit I do list. It became a 98 tab spreadsheets too of 2,000 items of invisible work um, that took me nine months to crowdsource. Um, with obvious, every everything from making school lunches, obviously, to getting those birthday gifts, but more insidious things too, like um, Hudson soccer bag, Hudson soccer bag, sunscreen <laughs> application, which I put down for two minutes, but women said to me all over the country, actually, you need to put not just two minutes for the application, but 30 minutes for the chase. Um, Cause toddlers are hard to get, to get sunscreen. On. So it was actually a really fun process. It was one of the, the best things I ever did for my mental health was do that spreadsheet, but it wasn't well, because, so good for my marriage, but, the, but for my mental health, it was important.
0: Well, and that presumably has, has strengthened your marriage over time. Uh, but maybe at the, at the time it created conflict because, well, because why?
1: Exactly, but that's exactly right. So sometimes, right? Um, well, I finally send it to Seth too, with um, you know all my dis- all my expert uh, expertise in communication, right? I just send it to him with no context. Just that was a sarcasm, but he no does. context and just um, a 19 million megabyte spreadsheet that said a subject line: Can't wait to discuss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So,
0: so Seth must have loved receiving that message.
1: Exactly. So he he literally, I mean, I don't think he had literally any idea that I was working on this, right? This was nine months of work, but wait, said, so
0: this nine months was a secret mission you yeah, were doing? Yeah.
1: It? Yeah. So, so everything is, wrong. It's almost everything like wrong. the
0: NFL player kind of.
1: <laughs> exactly. Everything wrong every, the opposite of what I know from my workplace, right. Every, for my, my training, everything wrong. I was doing everything wrong with how I communicated about these issues, but I will say that his response was a, um, I didn't even get the fucking courtesy of a three monkey trio. do. I got just the, um, the one monkey covering its eyes, right. The see, no evil, but yes. I want to say something about what you just said earlier about, um why it was harmful at that point yes because I started getting messages I got a me- you can't make this stuff up I got a message from a woman's due from the Jewish Federation of Arizona okay. she said she received my excel spreadsheet the should I do list from a friend and um she just was calling to let me know I don't again I don't know I'm just sure how she had my number from a friend but maybe it was on the spreadsheet or my email but she said um I just want to let you know I'm not staying in my marriage. And so I think what I realized was that this shit I do list was unleashing sort of a shit storm. Mm. And that's when I sort of realized that um, I had two choices, right? I could abandon this project because it was doing some harm. Mm. And um, it was also not obviously being receptive. Seth was not being receptive to it. And then I could lose myself in the process and continuing to be stabbed in the vagina with, um, with pens um, or, or I could um, get my ass in gear and become my own client. Hmm. And I don't know if you remember the hair club, because you grew up in New York. Do you remember the hair club for president, the hair club for men commercials? You remember those on like Channel Seven? Uh, yes, Channel I live. do. Yeah, there was like that weird guy who said, I'm not just the uh, hair club for men president, I'm the first client. I don't know if you remember
0: him. <laughs> I do, I do so anyway, vaguely, so, yes.
1: So that, that's what I decided to become. I decided so, to become not only just the hair club for men president, but the first client. And so I started to build a system, Sue, based on one question that I know you appreciate, because that's why I love your work so much. What would society look like if we treated our homes as our most important organization? Hmm. Yeah, That was it. That's how I started.
0: And that, that somehow led you to uh, the four rules, which you write yep. so yep. eloquently and, and captivatingly about. Can can you give us just a brief introduction to what those four rules are?
1: Yeah. So I think that I can do it by mustard because I think that's the easiest way to understand the whole fair play system because it's it's not rocket science. But when I realized that I wanted to start looking at the home as the most important organization, I decided to ask a follow-up question. And now my I have thousands of data points. But in the beginning, I was asking uh, couples, how did mustard get into their refrigerator? And Stu, I was often hearing um, that somebody right uh, knew that their second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard on, um, on his protein. Otherwise, he chokes. And I was like, oh, I, I know that. That's called conception. Like, I know that from project management. That's conception. And then I would hear, oh, yeah, I, I needed stakeholder buy-in. Uh, and I had to survey my family for what they need at the grocery store. And also, I monitor that mustard for when it's running low. And I was like, oh, I know that stage from organizational management. That's planning. And then um, somebody has to get their butt to the store. Now it's more complicated with gloves and a mask to go purchase the French's yellow mustard. And I was like, oh, I know that phase. That's execution. And then in the hetero cisgender couples, 90%, 90%, and they were over 200 hetero, self-identified hetero cisgender couples. Said to me now. I'm saying back then it was less because I had, um, I wanted to mirror the U.S. census, so I had a nice set. I have a good set of self-identified same-sex couples, and we'll talk about the differences if you mm-hmm. want to. But um, the hetero-cisgender relationships, men were stepping in at executions stew and you're bringing home spicy Dijon every fucking time. And what about I asked, the
0: Frenches though, you're supposed to get the French no, right?
1: exactly. But why are you not bringing that? And so what? What happens is?
0: Wait. So. Um, so, so the, the woman is asking the man, why did you get the spicy Dijon when you're supposed to get the French's?
1: hundred percent. That was the dynamic over and over again, that women were holding the conception and the planning. And then they were asking their partners to execute on their conception and planning. It was a classic systems failure. Hmm. It's not, it's not, it's, that's why fair play became a love letter to men. Because if you think about good organizations, good organizations have what I call three things. I always talk about this to my clients. I believe they have explicitly defined expectations. Mm-hmm. I believe, you know, your role. And I believe that there's fairness and transparency. And so when I talked to man after man, after man in a hetero cisgender relationship, they said to me, I do not know my role. Mm-hmm. I would do more in the home, but I can't get anything right. i mm. um, one man who worked at Netflix or he was actually at Tesla, but he came from Netflix. He said, Netflix was all about context, not control. He said, I love my work. He's like, but my home is all control and no context. Hmm. And Hmm. so I started to feel that um, nagging, this idea of what men told me that they didn't like about home life, this idea of nagging, it felt too gendered to me. So I changed it to what I call the rat fuck. And that is the um, idea that if you have too many rodents in your home, you don't want to live there. And it was this idea for men that the random assignment of a task is a terrible thing. And so, this one man in White Plains, New York, state, said to me that he was divorcing over a glue stick. And so, that's why fair play became a love letter to men because it doesn't, it doesn't. The system doesn't work for either, either party. Um, it doesn't work for people who are in same-sex relationships either, who are living in maybe more traditional family structures because we put ourselves in these silos. Mm-hmm. Um, we are drowning in decision fatigue. We are uh, deciding who's taking the dog out for a pit for, to, for a walk, right. When it's about to take a piss on our rug, it just doesn't, it's just not working. We don't, we don't, we need to, we, that's what I was thinking about when I thought, okay, we can change this because I'm looking and seeing systems failures over and over again.
0: We're going to have to take a short break here, but when we come back, Eve, I want to hear about the the four rules. All time is created equal. Reclaim your right to be interesting start where you are now and establish your values and standards again not rocket science but not easy to actually make real when we come back we'll we'll talk about some of that and also about what you're moving into next this is work in life we need to take a short break here i'll continue my conversation with eve rodsky the author of fair play in just a minute i'm Stu friedman this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us, we'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life
1: on Business Radio.
0: Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and really glad you're here. My guest today is Eve Rodsky. She's the author of the best selling book fair play a game changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live it 's game changing and it 's it 's funny and it 's <laughs> so genuine and practical she 's working on a new book, and I hope we get to talk about that a bit uh, so let 's let 's get into like your favorite aspects of these four rules and how yep. people listening could use them because I am certain that many people listening to our conversation now are thinking, uh, yeah, that's my life (laughs) or, or something like that. So what are these rules?
1: Okay, let's go to rule number one, all time is created equal. Um, So that builds on what we were talking about before about the systems failures to between the spicy Dijon, and the um, French is yellow. Because Mm -hmm. what I found was that when you do something very simple, it sounds simple, but like you said, Sue, it's like, don't eat sugar. It may sound simple, but it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. When you can divide up your task at home through a method where you hold the conception, planning, and execution together, it is highly more efficient. All so three
0: phases. All not three just phases the first together.
1: Three. Exactly. So mm-hmm. what was so cool about this idea of all time be, being created equal was I realized that um, as a society, a core finding of fair play was that we do, we, we guard men's time as diamonds. We really do. And we treat and view women's time as sand, as infinite. And we know this because you've talked about, we, you've talked about pay equity with Joan Williams. And there, there's a lot of differences in how women and men are treated in the workplace for an hour of their time. Mm-hmm. But in the home, in the home, women, we've been conditioned over Years and years and years to devalue our own time, right? And so Mm. that comes up in things like saying, "Well, I do more because I'm paid less, Mm. um, or my job is more flexible," um, which is again is a bad argument for women because they um, are often we're often paid less in the same job. You hear women saying, "I'm a better multitasker." Mm. One thousand percent not true. Uh, There's no gender difference in the brain for multitasking. It's bad for everybody. You often hear women say things like, "In the time it takes me to tell." him, her, they, what to do. I should do it myself. That um, is a classic devaluing of future time. Um, Men will often say, well, I'm not sure why my wife is so upset. She could just go out and get more help. Um, All of these are what I call toxic time messages, where we are devaluing each other's time, where we should be instead saying, my time choice, my, my, what I did to Seth that day after this you of the blueberries day, how our life started changing mm-hmm. wasn't just because I said to him, you need to start grocery shopping. Even though that ownership mindset, the conception, planning, and execution, keeping that together is, all, is the way you get to all time as credit equal. The way this started, Stu, was for me to say, geez, Seth, I noticed that you have four hours after our kids go to bed to work out, watch Sports Center, PTI, whatever, and, and finish your PowerPoint deck. Whereas I'm using the, my entire night up until midnight till my head hits the pillow in service of our household. And I need more time choice. I want the same amount of time choice, how I use my time as you have. And that's going to require you taking over more of the household, housework and childcare. And so once Seth realized that he wasn't treating my time equally to his.
0: That it was unjust.
1: That it was unjust, that it felt unfair, that I was de- he was devaluing my time. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be in a relationship like that. He really was willing to listen. And so it started small, stew. It started with extracurricular sports. He used to say to me, I, I'm in charge of that. And I said, no, my time is not equal as yours because you're making me do all the conception and planning for your execution. I will get to more time choice if you hold the full ownership mindset for extracurricular sports. And that means, Seth, serving our friends, my kids' friends for what they want to play. It means logging on to the damn AYSO portal that always logs me out. It means Xeroxing our kids' birth certificates and knowing where those damn things are. It means going on Amazon and buying their cleats. It means being on a 72-person text chain about carpooling to practice.
0: (laughs) Wait, I thought then, just going. I thought just going to the soccer match was it.
1: And then he would, and and then taking our kids to the soccer match with with maybe some sunscreen and a water bottle. I don't give a shit if their their uniform is dirty, but getting them them there on time. That that is how you get to time equality, too, mm. by 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 taking over the cognitive labor. Yeah, the, the, and there's a lot of studies that women are still holding the cognitive labor. It's not yes. just me saying this. A big Harvard study came out last year. About that, So that's that's all time is created equal. The ownership mindset, when you can take over a full task with the conception and planning, you get to more time fairness.
0: And where we could spend the rest of our time just talking about this one rule. I, I don't want to do that. I, I want to make sure listeners get a little bit more on each of the other three. But just briefly, how did how did Seth overcome whatever resistance he might have had to adopting a greater sense of fairness about about time,
1: uh, more sex, a happier life, um, staying in our marriage, um, a woman who is interested in their own life, who he could be proud of. You know all the things that um, hmm. we got. We got to a place of. And by the way, he loved taking over extracurricular sports because he said to me like our kids are going to play basketball now because that's what they want to play. And I'm not sure why you were having them in soccer. And I have a whole new coach for them. Like it was something he valued and the ownership he has now over my kids and watching them practice and the pride he has in their bonding over going to practices with them and telling his, his, you know, organization that he has to leave um, to take his kids to practice. He gets to feel like he's a more interesting person and a more Uh whole human.
0: Let's, uh, that's helpful. Uh, I, I, I'd love to know more about what it was like to you to, for you to have to give up that responsibility. Was it just like, oh, thank God I don't have to do that. Or hmm, no. wait a minute, I'm not sure I can trust him to actually do the planning effectively and interact with the other soccer moms in a way that's appropriate, et cetera, et cetera. But But we're going to pass on that so that we can get to, there's more about that in the book. Let's get to reclaim your right to be interesting.
1: What's that all about? That's actually, that way, that gets us to book two, because that's my entire book is about reclaiming your right to be interesting. And Sue, this started with an interesting question I started to ask men, especially. Mm -hmm. I asked men, um, are you proud of your partner? And this wasn't just, you know, um, these were people in traditional family structures, not just um, hetero, cisgender relationships. Are you proud of your partner? So this is what I would hear Stu. I would hear, she's an amazing mother. And in that case, okay. And I was like, okay, that's great. That's a role. Um, and then I would hear, um, well, I couldn't do it without her. I was like, okay, so now we have, um, we have mother and personal assistant. I was like, great. I was like, keep going, keep going. If I couldn't, if a man could not, tell me a third thing about why he was proud of his partner. Um, then later on in our, our conversations, it was correlating. And no, I wouldn't say correlating. Um, it was showing up as a dissatisfaction in the marriage. Hmm. And so what I realized is that the right to uninterrupted time for things that you love mm-hmm. is really not only important for your, our own mental health. Cause we know that from the flow state and there's lots of, um, you know, obviously research on how important the flow state is and how mm-hmm. creative people are um, actually happier. They're not the sad people that we think of in creativity. Actually, the research shows creative people are actually really happy. Um, but but you, you need time to get there and you have to give it to each other. And so that's what that rule is about. It's about looking at the fact that sometimes I found that the person who didn't want to give that time over, um, that creative time was mm-hmm. actually the person the person who resented us most for taking that time was our our partners, the person who's supposed to love us the most mm. and mm. that's a terrible dynamic to be in um We need that time back
0: and 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 you need it for the the partnership to thrive
1: a hundred percent right and, and, and yes and you talk about that and I love I love how you lead with values and so a lot of this rule is about understanding what are your deeply held values and how do you do things that are aligned with those? And so that's why I love your work so much.
0: That, that is core to everything that yeah. I do. Indeed. Yeah. So, so start where you are now. Um, that seems pretty straightforward, but <laughs> what, what's, what's the essential feature of that rule that people should know?
1: Well, it's exactly what you said earlier about it's, it's looking at how did I feel about giving up quote unquote control of extracurricular sports, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 so, so if I told you, okay, just give up all the domestic work to your partner today, right? No one's going to read the book. It's going to be too overwhelming. So you want to start really, really small. So there, the premise of Fair Play is that there's 100 cards, quote-unquote metaphorical cards.
0: Yes, and, but actual and, cards in an incredibly beautiful deck yes. that you have produced with whomever you did this with. It's gorgeous.
1: I love them. They're a Clarkson Potter. They're a Penguin Random House. They have a great, beautiful stationery um, and cookbook line. They, they do great stuff. But that... But the metaphorical cards of the book or the actual cards, mm-hmm. um, when you look at those, there's a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm asking people to do is if your dynamic has been that uh, one of you has been holding the conception and planning and the other person has sort of been thrown in to some you know rat random assignment of task here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you want to move over to the ownership mindset, start with just one card. And for me, like I said, it was it was starting with extracurricular sports. Once Mm -hmm. I held just that one card to handing over that one card and letting Seth carry through his mistakes, Mm -hmm. which like you said, is hard, Mm -hmm. um, but important for managers in the workplace too, when you delegate to Mm -hmm. let people carry through their mistakes is once I did that one card, I got six hours of my week back just from one, from from handing over the ownership mindset to one task. That was it six hours.
0: Wow. That's that, that's a game changer.
1: For me, it was to, to, to be to be creative, to be, as we said, to get my permission to be interesting back. Mm-hmm. And that was that that's how rule three works. It sort of allows you to get to rule one and rule two.
0: And and establishing your values and standards, the 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 fourth rule.
1: Well, this is why, again, why I keep saying why your work speaks so deeply to me, Stu, um, because too many people. This gets to the core of communication and a lot of what you talk about. Too many people focus on the what, right? And I think as a mediator, over 10 years, that's what I've learned. When I ask people what their most important practice is, mm-hmm. do you know that now I have over a thousand interviews? You know, I am I have a, a, a database, a CRM that grows. And one of the questions I try to ask everybody is, what is your most important practice? Do you know that not, not one person ever said communication? Hmm. And I know it's a little bit of a trick question because I get a lot of exercise or uh, you know, meditation or other things, but, but if you start looking at communication as a practice, then what you're going to start doing is starting to tell stories about yourself and each other that leads to your why, as opposed to the what. Mm -hmm.
0: So if I start just
1: screaming at Seth, oh, you didn't take out the garbage again. And you don't put the lighter back in, you don't put the damn liner back in. How many times can you argue about that? Stu, right? About the
0: liner? About the,
1: like Seth never put the damn garbage liner back in you know like the garbage bag oh like he would take out the garbage but but he didn't put the bag back in Who is supposed to be putting that bag back in me
0: Seth Seth for sure (laughs) hold on a second let me let me remind listeners this is working life on business radio Sirius XM 132 I'm your host and big fan of Seth (laughs) Hugh Friedman and I'm talking with Eve Rodsky who is the author of Fair Play a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live just out in paperback gotta read this if you want to make a, a better life together um so so who's supposed to put the liner in obviously the person who owns that that responsibility um you got to get to the why right can I
1: just yeah so that's it so that's what I want to end on I'll end on a garbage story because it's sort of it's, it's interesting that you can have a why over garbage. But actually, Stu, one of the biggest breakthroughs Seth and I had was when I was able, when we were able to sort of sit down to um, when emotion was low and cognition was high um, and, and start talking about our home, right? So we do a 10 minute and I check in I ask people to do that, to practice communication. And during one of those check-ins, I was able to say to Seth, Um, okay, so we're having really big problems over garbage. (laughs) Like, I know that that's, and I want to just step back, Seth, instead of just fighting about when the garbage goes out or or who's putting the bag back in, can I just tell you a story? And so he said, fine. And I said, okay, you know, I grew up in a single mom, but actually what you don't know in a single mom household, but what you don't know about me is that I didn't grow up with a garbage can. I grew up with takeout bags that were on a knob. Um, and then they'd spill what? out on a knob. You know how you'd just stick a takeout bag on like a, a drawer knob or a drawer, like you know, like you did you ever hang a, a takeout bag? Oh, I mean, okay. we lived in a small apartment. That was so your we, garbage. That was our garbage. We would just we would have we have a, we had an apartment on the lower east side of New York City, on Avenue C and Fourteenth Street. We would mm-hmm. just hang one of those plastic bags on a knob, and that's where we'd sort of throw garbage. But the problem mm-hmm. is that it spills out all over the floor, mm-hmm. and the, our floor was sticky. And what would happen to me, Seth, was that my, my mom worked late. She was trying to get tenure. They gave her the shitty classes at night. So I often had to put my disabled brother to bed alone. And I was scared and he would ask for water and I'd go into the kitchen and I'd see cockroaches and water bugs scatter everywhere.
0: Mm. And I had
1: a, a plan where I'd walk in with my eyes closed and I'd wait till the light turned on so that they could all scatter and go into their places. Mm. And then I would get the water. And so Seth, um, when I see a, a banana peel peeking out over the garbage, um, I'm seven years old again. I'm I'm 10 years old again. I'm I'm a latchkey kid in the Lower East Side, scared that I'm gonna be abandoned by my mother. Mm. And then Seth was able to say to me, Well, I don't give a shit about garbage. I had a housekeeper growing up. Mm. You know, I I slept on Domino's pizza boxes in my fraternity. I actually like garbage. <laughs> so I think what happens right when very you very
0: different garbage- <laughs> experiences with garbage, clearly. Very,
1: Different lived experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And that and that gets to bigger questions again. What you talk about about values and how they mm-hmm. inform us. When you have different values and different lived experiences, they show up in these very small places. Mm-hmm. And so you can either say, "Well, screw it, I'll just take it back and do it myself," or I could say to Seth, "Let's come up with a minimum standard of care." Right? We know that that works in the law. Mm-hmm. We know that works in medicine. Like, what's a minimum standard of care where you can still feel comfortable owning garbage because it helps me but that, you know, that I care about it. So and that was it. That, that is powerful, how you get to the why.
0: So that's, that's where you get to, to common ground,
1: common to, ground, common and, ground. Yes.
0: And, and a sense that uh, you're in this together. Uh, such an important idea yeah. in our world today. Is it not?
1: The stories we tell about each other's do. I mean, I really believe that those are the only I know there's a lot of quotes that say, you know, the the shortest way between two people is a story. I forget Mm -hmm. who says that. Um, But it's, it's a beautiful quote. And I believe that I think stories are the way forward to, um, to get to what, you know, Biden said yesterday to to more unity.
0: Yeah, we gotta, we gotta be able to hear each other's story right um and that that requires the capacity to listen and to have compassion and understanding and belief that you know the other is is uh has value and and is worth is worth attending to and 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 caring for um tell me there's this there's lots more i'd like to ask about that but readers can go to fair play to hear more of the the stories that motivated you to put this together, but more importantly for them to understand how they can use uh, these rules and these hundred cards to create um, more powerful partnerships that are good for them, good for their families, good for the world. I dare say, what's, what's next. What are you working (laughs) on now?
1: Well, as I said to you before, I became uh, sort of obsessed with um, the intersection of identity and creativity. And, um, and how uh, sometimes our goal setting, living in a very extrinsic society, uh, we've gotten away from our core values. And that's why I, I reached out to you to interview you, um, because I think that the more we can look at our internally, deeply held values, um, we get to a place of much more creativity. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been interviewing a lot of people and writing my second book that's looking at that intersection between happiness, creativity, and and your identity.
0: And what are you hoping? that book will will do? How will it help people?
1: I love that question. Um, I hope it gives people more permission to be unavailable and to live a more authentic life. That's what I hope it does.
0: To be unavailable. You to mean- To unavailable. To create their boundaries. Role. I'm sorry? Yes.
1: yes. From their roles as a partner, a parent, and a professional, uh, to be unavailable. Um, to be unavailable to others and the boundaries that so that you can make that high, that uninterrupted attention for things that you love. That's what I want to gift everybody in society.
0: Yeah, uh, you know I, I I hear a lot about that and and address that question in many different kinds of ways. And I think the the big idea there is to realize that your unavailability is actually a gift to the people who depend on you, <laughs> because you become more of yourself and better able to serve them uh, in, in the course of your, your lives together, perhaps not at that moment when you were not available, but in the broader scheme of things.
1: And also, I think you have such beautiful insights about, um, when you need that time, how you gave me such beautiful insights about how, if you're a true leader, if you think of that part of your life as leadership as well, your creative time, um, then as a leader, you're going to be able to convince others why, it's in their best interest for you to, to, to have that time. Right. It's for um, them that you're doing it. Yeah. So I really like your insights and and I think I, and I captured a lot of those in our interview.
0: 25 years ago, I published a, a study that, that found that uh, the more time that mothers spent uh, alone, the better their children's mental health. I which... quote that
1: too in the book. Yes. When, when <laughs> I, I love your study. I,
0: when I when I when I bring that idea to audiences of of women, they're like, uh, "That's surprising to you, still? like, <laughs> What?" So, what's the Care Coalition all about?
1: So, um, I'm really excited. You're one of my inaugural um, men uh, to be invited. But starting in the spring, um, a couple of us, including Henry Slaughter and my friend Avni Patel Thompson, and my other friend Blessing Adizian, all these people who work in sort of what I call fam tech. Uh, And and the value of care, Ijen we started to see that women were uh, bleeding from the workforce, being forced out in droves. Mm -hmm. We are, um, you know, over 2 million now. It's uh, all the jobs that were the aggregate numbers, the the net losses in December were all women of color, pretty much. Um, So we're having a care crisis in this country. And um, it's time to start looking, as Ijen said, as, as care, the same way we look at roads and bridges, And so people who work in, um, part of that is what I call, uh, I call it fair pay, fair play and fair day. And what Stu, you work in is fair day, um, which is the idea of how do you integrate work and life, right? In a way so that we are not just the ideal worker sitting in a chair 20 hours a day and not being able to care for anybody. Um, That's really, really an important piece of this. Um, How do we change the societal norms about what it means to have a work and have life And so that's why I'm inviting you to our Slack. It's going to be your first time on Slack. I'm really excited. Uh And uh, (laughs) it's a really great platform. Um, I'm not sponsored by Slack or anything. I just like it. And we're going to be If the CARE Coalition is
0: successful, what will it achieve?
1: The CARE Coalition is, um, I'll tell you, so I talked to a prominent politician and I said, do you know that the playgrounds are closed in California? And this person said to me, no. I know the restaurants are closed, but I would not know the playgrounds are closed because there's no lobby mm. there's no lobby for people who have to care for children. there's no lobby really I mean there's the ARP but but for people who have to care for mm. um adults for the sandwich generation so that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to harness political power through uh public private partnerships and policy and having a collective that says we are doing work committed every single day to to mm. value care
0: awesome I am completely in and can't wait for us to have another conversation about this on the air. But for now we have to wrap up Eve Rodsky. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Where's the best place for listeners to learn more about your remarkable work, find the book, etc. cetera.
1: Uh, you can always find me on Instagram at fair life uh, is our official channel or Eve Rodsky. We do, we do answer DMS once a week. And also of course, fairplaylife.com has a lot of these resources for free.
0: Oh, okay. So what what can people expect to find there?
1: Um, They can find what I call the CPE checklist, where you can look at what the cognitive labor looks like for each and every one of the hundred cards. Uh You can can download the cards. Um, You can find um, what I call dirty dozen bingo. If you want to have some exercises for how to get started on some of these conversations, those start with the 12 cards that are the hardest and the most important to address. So there's a lot of fun tools on that website.
0: Again, it is where?
1: Fairplaylife.com.
0: Fairplaylife.com. Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play and Game Changer in Our World. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Stu. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, just email me. It's pretty simple. FriedmanAtWharton.upenn.edu or our station, business Radio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. And you can find edited versions of selected shows as free podcasts at totalleadership.org with all kinds of other stuff to help you find and build harmony and better performance in all the different parts of your life. Patty Hall, our producer, thank you so much. Our sound engineer, Chris Tooks, thank you. I am Stu Friedman. Thank you for listening to Work and Life. On Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.